would like to thank the good people of State Farm Insurance for the title of this message. Unfortunately, they did not provide the content of this message. And I know you're itching to do this, so let's get it out of the way. Like a good neighbor. Oh, yeah. It's terrible. Uh, but ever since Barry Manilow wrote that jingle, in the year 1971, if you can believe that. Uh, the words like a good neighbor identify State Farm Insurance, even for people who do not have State Farm Insurance. And in much the same way, the words Good Samaritan are familiar to Christians and also to non-Christians alike. And they identify hospitals and uh, clinics and healthcare systems around the world but they also identify individuals who are known for such great compassion and mercy that even unbelievers, even people who have never heard the story, will compliment them and refer to them as Good Samaritans after uh, the one you heard about in the parable Jesus told in Luke chapter 10, uh, who gave emergency roadside assistance and ongoing care to a wounded victim on a dangerous road. And while that can and certainly should be a lesson to all of us here as followers of Jesus in relationship uh, to the hurting people in our lives, whoever they are, we, wherever we might find them. I need to tell you that uh, in truth, that is not all of what this story is about. In fact, I'm not sure that's the primary thing that this uh, story is about. And yet, it is a good story. Uh, though admittedly a work of fiction that Jesus actually made up, although he does include some true-to-life characters who would have been very familiar to the people uh, who are listening to him. And it is a story that was put into the real-life setting of a 17-mile stretch of roadway that to this very day cuts through a barren desert, uh, connecting the city of Jerusalem to the town of Jericho, falling from a height of 2,500 feet above sea level all the way down to 850 feet below sea level to the oldest city and the lowest place on the face of the earth. And while today that roadway is primarily a highway different from the one that you're seeing on the screen, back then that road was known as the Bloody Pass because Travelers were such a, a great target for muggers and robbers and predators because it was such an isolated, such a dangerous place. So that when Jesus begins his story by talking about a man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, his listeners would have immediately thought to themselves, you know, this cannot be good because they knew that real life people were beaten and robbed on that actual road. And uh, of course, it turns out that it, it is not good because that is exactly what happens to uh, the man in the story after which, as you heard, two people pass him by on the other side in their fear for some other reason, after which the Good Samaritan comes along and saves the day, making this story for Christians and also for non-Christians a basis for things like personal compassion, for social justice, for health care, even for legislation. 
uh, known as Good Samaritan Laws, which take place and are held in all 50 states and actually protect the, the interest of the Good Samaritans themselves so that they don't get sued by the people they're trying to assist. Nevertheless, I mean, it is a dramatic story that really has a simple message because it comes with this moral imperative to love your neighbor and not to pass by on the other side. But as I said, that is not the half of it. And that's because this story is also Jesus' response to a test question posed by an expert in the religious law, a so-called lawyer, who was out to interrogate Jesus, who stood up in the crowd and began to ask him questions because what he really wanted to do was try to trap Jesus into saying something that would incriminate himself, something that would open him up to a charge of blasphemy and get him arrested in a way that would terminate his ministry and also terminate his life because Jesus was associating uh, with unsavory characters, with known sinners, with people who are outside of his country, outside of uh, his religion, all to the chagrin of the religious establishment of that day. And so this representative of that establishment begins to interrogate Jesus, and he begins with a question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus cleverly answers the question with a question. And he says, well, what do you see? What, what do you read in the law? To which the lawyer responds with the great Shema, which in Hebrew means hear, hear, O Israel, uh, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yes, that's correct. You are right, which the lawyer already knows is the correct answer, but he also knows that Jesus has not yet incriminated himself. And so that sets up the second question. And the second question is really the trap. And that question is, and who is my neighbor? And the reason the question is a trap is that the lawyer knew and knew that Jesus knew that there was a passage in Leviticus chapter 19 which identifies our neighbor as one who is among your own people. In other words, not somebody outside of your faith, not somebody outside of your country or your community, or somebody who has separated themselves from the community by, the, by their sin or by the way they're living their lives. And who then is my neighbor? That was the trap because they knew that Jesus was hanging around with people in all of those categories. But Jesus doesn't fall into the trap. Instead, he tells a story about a man who was beaten and robbed on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, after which two individuals come along and they pass him by on the other side. And those two individuals are placed into the story very deliberately by Jesus. The first is a priest, presumably a temple priest in Jerusalem, a, a man of God, a, a holy man, a religious man. The second is a Levite. Now the Levites uh, weren't always priests, but they were the ones who supported the work uh, of the temple in a variety of different respects. Also, lay people, but very religious. The priest 
and the Levite pass the broken man on the other side. Why? Because these guys were caring and heartless individuals? Well, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Or maybe they realized that under the provisions of the law, this time Leviticus chapter 21, if they, as religious people, came into contact with this bleeding, wounded man who might have actually been dead for all they knew, that that contact would have made them defiled, religiously impure, spiritually unclean, and therefore unable to do their job back at the temple. In other words, their religion got in the way of their compassion. Or as a uh, somewhat uh, newer slogan puts it, like a good neighbor, stay over there. Which I cannot believe this, but you can buy that slogan on your doormat and t-shirts and yard signs and other places on Amazon.com. But you know, that's another story. You see what's going on here? Jesus is putting these two characters into the story as a way of indicting the man who's trying to, to put this trap up for him, the one who's trying to interrogate him. And he's, he's also indicting all the members of his uh, religious establishment, after which the hero of the story becomes one of the most despised people that they could ever possibly imagine. And that was a Samaritan, because Jews hated Samaritans for a number of different reasons. One of which is that Jews and Samaritans uh, were once upon a time at war with each other. Uh, Samaritans had kind of a, you know, a hybrid mishmash religion. Samaritans uh, intermarried with Gentiles, which was a great big no-no. And Samaritans also tried to interrupt the, the restoration and the rebuilding of the temple, among other things. In fact, at the time of Jesus, I mean, if you really wanted to call somebody a name and put them down in a very big way, you called them a Samaritan, even if they weren't actually from Samaria. And this actually happens to Jesus in John chapter 8. You can go look it up for yourself. In other words, it's like, you know, we, some kind of a Samaritan, like, like that. And yet this is the one the Samaritan, who Jesus makes the hero of the story, not the priest and not the Levite. And then, as if to add insult to injury, I mean, he just goes on and on about how great this guy was. And you heard it in the parable. How he bandaged his wounds after pouring wine and oil on them because wine was a first century antiseptic because oil was the thing that eased the pain. And, and then he picked him up and he put him on his donkey and he took him to the inn and he didn't just drop him off at the inn. I mean, he stayed with them all night at the inn. And then the next morning, Jesus says, he gives two denarii to the innkeeper so that he could recover for an even longer period of time. And, you know, we just kind of skim over the whole two denarii thing. But there was a uh, early church historian by the name of Polybius who uh, reports that uh, in the Roman Empire at that time, the going rate for one night's lodging at a roadside inn was one thirty-second of one denarius, which, if true, meant that that man was providing something like two months' worth of respite care 
for the wounded man, a guy he didn't even know. I mean, would you do something like that? And that is when Jesus sets the trap for the one who's trying to trap him. And Jesus interrogates the interrogator and says, now, which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And the lawyer answers, the one who showed mercy. Correct. But why? Why does he give the right answer? Was his heart melted by the moral story of Jesus? Maybe. Or maybe it was because he knew that that was the only possible answer. Or maybe he knew, and he knew that Jesus knew, that in addition to that verse from Leviticus chapter 19 about who your neighbor is, there was another verse in Deuteronomy chapter 10 in which God says, you shall love the alien in your land because you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Maybe he just realized that he lost this round, that there was no logical or, or theological basis for doing anything except agreeing with Jesus, who ends the interrogation by saying to the man, and I think maybe with a little hint of sarcasm, go and do likewise. And you see how Jesus flips the whole question in the course of the, of the passage? The, the passage begins with the question, who is my neighbor? And uh, I don't know about you, but you know, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, he's telling this story to show me that the wounded man on the side of the road is my neighbor and that my responsibility as a follower of Jesus is to reach out to my neighbor uh, when they are wounded, whether their wounds are physical or they're spiritual. But wow, by the end, the whole thing is inside out. And you end up with this big surprise. Wait a minute. He's telling me that the Samaritan is the neighbor. He is my neighbor. The guy who I hate like poison. You know, this messed up religiously defiled, immoral adversary of my people. That guy is my neighbor. The Samaritan is my neighbor. And so at the beginning, the question is, and who is my neighbor? By the end, Jesus flips it so that the question is, and to whom are you going to be a neighbor? Who are the Samaritans in your life? Who are the people that you cannot imagine calling good because of who they are or what they believe or how they live, but who God can redeem and use for his good? Pick your person. Pick your category. See, here's the thing. You know, this passage, this parable, if you think it's, it's just about you know, helping the sick and the injured people on the, on the roadsides of this world, because we are followers of Jesus, you would not be wrong. It's just that that's not the half of it. Because the fact of the matter is, 
that this is one of the most difficult, one of the most challenging, one of the most uncomfortable passages, stories that Jesus ever told. This is a story about redefining your relationships because of Jesus Christ. This is a story about what it means to be like a good neighbor because Jesus is there and he changes our hearts and our minds. This is the Jesus who goes to Samaria when all the others went around Samaria. This is the Jesus who gives the living water of God's grace to a real-life Samaritan woman. This is the Jesus who heals a real-life Samaritan man of his leprosy and then says he's got the greatest faith of everybody while the other nine go show themselves to the priest for certification because once again, their religion is getting in the way of their relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't get me wrong, I'm into religion. I like religion. As long as it reflects and expresses the grace and the truth, which is sometimes a very difficult truth, of the one that you and I are called to follow instead of expressing my judgment, my rejection, and my prejudice. Now, as we already know, the message of Jesus did get him arrested. It did get him charged, and it did get him killed. But what we also know is that death could not hold him. And death cannot hold his message and its power to change everything in all of life. And so I close today with uh, that great old story of the sculptor who made that beautiful statue of Jesus out of stone, with his hand stretched out in blessing to the world, and who when he was asked how he could possibly make such a beautiful thing out of such hard material, answered and said, I just chipped away everything that is not Jesus. May that be said of you and me. May it be said of all the priests and all the Levites of our generation, of our church, and every church, so that we might bring honor and glory to the one who himself put himself in the position of the outcast in order to come and save your life, so that you and I might be like a good neighbor because Jesus is there in your heart, in your life, your mind, and our church for the hope of this world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to rise as we join together in prayer.